Hey, Elsa. Yeah? Josh is in here trying to get our attention, eating chips. Should we give him attention right now? Yeah. Guys, it's fine. No one's even recording. <laughs> are, we, are you sure? Let me live my life. <laughs> I just thought I, I should probably sit in with you since it's like your last episode for the... I mean, congratulations. You guys did it. Wow. Cheers. Cheers. I guess I'm proud of you-ish. How does it feel to be done? I don't know. I didn't think it was going to be that fast. What do you guys like? I mean, like, there's going to be, you know, a couple months we're going to be recording and mixing new episodes, but what are you guys going to do, like, during during your break? Uh, my usual life, work. Maybe try to find a vacation in there somewhere. Work, and hopefully by the time this comes out, I finish my profile on Saleho, but... Woo! Pressure him. Pressure. Wow. Okay, so nothing fun. Just kidding. Love you, Soleil. Um, I just thought we should let our listeners know that if if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast this year, um, you can give us some feedback and go to collabsf.org slash podcast and fill out a quick 60-second survey. Let us know how we're doing, how we can make this even better next year, all that good stuff, is what I would say if we were actually recording. So do you want to put that at the end of the episode or... I think we'll, fi- we'll find a good place for it. Okay. Okay, should we start recording for real? Yeah. Okay, ready, set, go. Welcome to Golden Great, collaboration access podcast empowering Asian American stories from the gold rush to the gold open. My name is Elsa. And I'm Long. Today we have a special guest, our executive producer, Josh. What's up, guys? Josh is also the co-executive director of SF's Collaboration Chapter. Josh, tell us a little bit more about how you got started with Collab. Sure. Um, You know, honestly, I think it was a little bit of of networking that helped. Um, I got an email uh, about an opportunity helping Asian American artists. And in college, I was a media studies major, ethnic studies minor. So... Honestly, collaboration was just the combination of a lot of the creative pursuits that, uh, and social justice pursuits that I was really interested in. Um, I got introduced to Lauren, uh, our previous director over coffee, and really hit it off. And from there, it's just been a really amazing journey so far. So really glad to be here as we're closing out on year one of Golden Gray. Um, thanks so much for having me back. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. What are we getting into, Long? We finished a very important event. Can you go into that, what we just did? (laughs) We did earlier this month, uh, November 1st, we hosted the first Empower workshop. Um, This had sprung out of the original Empower conference that started in uh, Los Angeles. Our uh, old friend, Minji Chang, um, who's the former director of Collab, in addition uh, to Marvin, her good friend, podcast extraordinaire, and also uh, the current interim director for our global organization for Collab. A couple years ago, they wanted to start a type of panel, workshop, conference um, that really spoke to and mentioned uh, the work that API artists are doing in the community. And uh, we decided to try and do our, our version of that here. And it was a small networking workshop to get us going. Um, it was really fun. We called it Your Network is Your Net Worth. We got to hear from Joe Lee. He's the Training and Technical Assistance Director for, 
I think it's APCHO, but it's the Association of Asian Pacific Community Health Organizations. Um, there's really just a lot of great takeaways. Lots of new people showed up and lots of new people to um, really engage and connect with. Um, so a lot of people were able to take away. I took away a lot of things. Um, Definitely. Um, for me, networking is not anything scary for me because I do it all the time for work. I have to talk to a lot of different people I don't want to talk about or talk to. <laughs> and there's some people, you know, but then if you come with an attitude, you're yeah. never going to actually open up and meet people. So I've learned how to drop that and really recognize, oh, everyone has something to offer. And sometimes it doesn't mean that moment. Sometimes it could come a year later, sometimes two years later. Um, what do you think, Josh? Well, I mean, just going off of that long, ever since I've known you, I felt that you've always been very easy at like connecting with people, getting to know them. So I guess my question for you is, were things always like that? Or was that just getting to know people, connecting, networking, all of that? Was that something you developed over like a period of time? And what was it? So I developed that at a conference as well. My first conference I did was, it was called Bandwidth Conference back in 2008. Holy crap, that's, that's more than a decade ago. So my experience with networking, I came to San Francisco at a conference called a Bandwidth Conference. It was merging tech and music together. And there's a lot of panels that came out and I give this as advice to anyone. If you're coming out of college, try to volunteer as much conferences as you can. I remember I emailed- Were you attending it or were you volunteering at the conference? I volunteered, I actually yeah. emailed them. And they're like, oh, no one's ever emailed us for, you know, um, to intern, sure. And all I had to do was like pick up a couple chairs and like sit by the- <laughs> I'm an intern. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I'm an intern. And so I got in for free. The tickets were like $150 and yeah, I got in and I met so many people. And one thing about it is that they were so friendly and nice to me. What I picked up was they're not as scary as you think. They're pretty open. I mean, if they're already coming to a conference, they're already willing to talk. And I think most times network events, people are already open. And I get that it's scary to talk to people. Yeah. Elsa. I think it doesn't hurt that you probably got in with quite a senior discount. <laughs> senior discount? Yeah, like Long Paul Senior. That old. Okay. <laughs> He's been here for a long time. But I think that's, that's the thing too. Sorry to interrupt you Elsa, but just thinking about the spaces where you feel either safe or in a place where people that you interact with like want to meet you and want to get to know you uh, versus wanting you for your skills or your own personal network and trying to figure that out, especially in settings that aren't as black and white as uh, a conference or something like that, I think can be can be difficult to think about. Elsa, what's your experience with networking? Well, kind of going off of what just Josh was saying, you know, going into an environment where it's kind of open and receptive to networking. I find that even when you go to a networking event, like an industry event, you know, people are there to network, but there's still walls that are built up because people are shy. Um, they don't want to break through that barrier. Um, but from my experience, I think networking and public speaking and connecting people is just a muscle that you exercise. And I think I exercised that the most in college, where you had to table a lot and meet new people, join different organizations. Um, 
and I'm getting I'm definitely a little more rusty nowadays because you go to work, you meet your coworkers. These are this is a community that you've developed and built, and you're comfortable. And you do still go out and put yourself out there at certain events. Um, but I I find myself a little more shy and a little more reserved, even if you know you go into an event knowing that people want to connect. Um, it's just like okay, how do I find that connection? How do I break down the barrier besides our job title, right? Um, I read an article somewhere or found this piece of knowledge where, you know, when you're trying to network, you really shouldn't really be talking about what do you do for a job. You should be trying to find them, figure out who they are as a person. You know, perhaps you guys both have cats or you guys both like, um, you know, heavy metal, something like that, something on a personal connection. That's how people remember you. And we totally agree. One hot take I do have, though, I think most of these um, network kind of events if, <laughs> these network events sometimes they kind of forget about little nuances like for example like writing collab sf gets lit working with a lot of asian american women writers is that there's always this kind of layer that we don't talk about so men tend to always just talk more women tend to sit back there's always kind of this guy that always at these uh, events that they do Q and A's, there's always one guy trying to like tell them something instead of asking them something. And I know that a lot of times that when they have these not like, these inclusive places for women to meet, they don't have to worry about that specific guy hmm. to come in. And so I think sometimes that we kind of forget certain things like that and certain um, people's background where it's not polite to over talk or do something or look in the eyes right so back at that um at our networking event he said that there's no wrong answers because you know looking in someone's eyes could be one thing but some some cultures like in the middle east you're not supposed to look in the eyes right, right. and so you have to look in those certain things and so i think that's going back to what elsa says we have to really ask questions where they're from and stuff like that um, I was giving a tip about networking that if you're talking to a Japanese business person, you're supposed to hold the business card mm -hmm. in front of you and keep holding it until they walk away instead of just slapping it in your pocket right away. And so those are kind of things that, you know, it takes time to learn. And I think that in addition to those and understanding those cultural nuances when you're meeting someone else and trying to pay attention and be cognizant of that, there's also the cultural nuances going on with ourselves, um, the backgrounds of, you know, maybe being uh, being raised or growing up in a family that didn't value uh, like speaking up uh, or just like to speak up when it's your turn. Da, 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 da. And so by the time some people I don't know, I feel like that's an is would you say like that's an Asian thing for certain like immigrant cultures? I'd say that's how I felt, you know, being more. And not saying that you're not humble if you speak up, but we are, you know, we listen more than we share. You know, mm -hmm. we allow other people to have their turn. So that's something that I've always grown up and experienced. It's hard to break through. You know, old habits die hard. Right. Also, yeah, it's a immigrant story of like our parents talking. Keeping your head down. Keep your head down. Also, like um, saying that, like, be appreciative of what you have now. Right. If yeah. you were born here, then you're like, you look for opportunities. Um, they talk about this in, at, um, there's Jay-Z's album, he had some like cliff notes and stuff and he talked about African-Americans when they were growing up, they're 
looking at the world defensively just because, you know, the struggle of being an urban environment. And so when you're trying to expect someone, oh, just network it, like you're, you're always looking for like red flags to make sure you're safe. And that stuff, that stuff is hard to like grow out of. I mean, our parents always thought about red flags. That's why they're so hard on us to make sure that we're going through school and stuff, right? But, you know, we as born Americans, we have to figure out both of like, we can look for opportunities, but at the same time, what we taught culturally is to always look for like, you know, red flags or be safe, listen, be humble and stuff, right? And we have to find the mix between that. And I think like the mix, especially for, for me, but just like that general, like being a westernized Asian, I think is difficult in that we are supposed to live, we're supposed to live in the middle of all these different identities in terms of gender and of race and culture. And I don't know, at least for me, it was difficult to know like how to be and uh, how to interact with people even. Um, I think especially like even growing up with a lot of first and second gen friends and having a different experience personally uh, from that, I don't know, I feel like more common maybe immigrant experience and doing your thing from there. There were certain pieces for me about like feeling like was I too American or too white? And I felt that in multiple settings, even with people who looked like me, I still was trying to think about how I was being perceived. All right, Josh, I'm going to test you if you're paying attention and power. So I'm going to have Elsa pitch herself about her elevator pitch of who she is, and then you're going to go off of... Oh, this is not going to go well. Uh, it'll be right. This is a learning experience. It's fine, right? And Josh, you're going to pitch based on what we've learned this past Friday. Cool. Wait, so I, am I giving feedback on Elsa's pitch? No, you're going to give your pitch, and then we're going to just round table about okay. how, what's different about your pitch. Okay. Cool. This could go very well or very poorly. And I, I don't mean, know which one it's going to be. ourselves professionally mm-hmm. or personally? Professionally. Okay. I mean, my pitch is like a two-liner. Yeah. So you know where the elevator pitch that definition came from, right? Imagine you're an elevator with an executive. An elevator ride lasts about a minute. You have that much time to present who you are. Okay. Three, two. Funny story. My elevator does get stuck a lot, so my pitch would be longer if Sounds I were in my work. Sounds going to steal my identity, but that's okay. Elevator. Just mentioning that, but great. We'll okay. do that. Three, Before two. I pitch myself, I do say that I don't actually have a pitch in real life. I I feel like that's for me seems very robotic and. It seems like when I do that, people think I'm asking for certain things of them. And um, so I prefer not to pitch myself, but I will pitch myself here. Okay. I mean, we'll play with the We'll idea. test it out. Yeah. It's the cool learning lab. Three, two, one. Okay, if I get an elevator, I hit nine. Right. Ding. Go. Hi. Hi. My name is Elsa. I work at a finance tech company. I work in HR. I am their office manager and executive assistant. Good. That's cool. Yeah. Two floors. I would never Got ever do that in real <laughs> life. <laughs> All right, Josh, give me yours. Okay, like, am I am I like waiting for the elevator? Like, what's the scenario <laughs> for this right now? You walked in. Okay. Yep. Um, and okay. Do you, do you sing yourself when you walk? In this scenario, I am. I'm okay. singing to myself. Yes. All right. So okay. He's having a good day long. I'm just questioning. Some people dance instead of singing. Anyways, go in. I hit level nine. We're at level lobby. Hi. Hi, how's it going? 
You new here? Um, actually, yeah, I'm applying for the new uh, executive producer position at Golden Gray. Mm-hmm. And what have you done before? Oh yeah, so uh, let me just start from the beginning. Uh, my name is Josh <laughs> Ko, and uh, I'm currently the executive producer of uh, the podcast for Collaboration SF, Golden Gray. Um, Collab SF is an organization that uh, encourages and supports. Bing! Oh, um, I, floor's here. I gotta go. Um, good luck. Okay, have a good one. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Remember when I said it could go very well? That was not that. No. Okay. I didn't, I didn't think it was a crash and burn. Yeah, I think it was like a, it was a solid. It was like, just like there wasn't enough floors. Yeah. yeah. Like I got stuck in between floors, definitely, with that pitch. I mean, this is a good lesson about elevator pitch. You got to know. So I'm going to put it. Well, also, I, I think also it's a framing device, too, in that the scenario, you did say there were nine floors. You also didn't indicate, like, the amount of time that I had versus, like, the pitches we did during Empower, I did have a minute and 15 seconds. Yeah. It was an elevator. It's a good we can amount. Test okay, right all right. We can test right now. That was a good amount. I was timing. Okay. I had, right. I had a thing, so I was like, hmm. But... I think bringing both ideas together, yeah, we should know that like what Elsa said. You're right. You sh- it shouldn't be like robotic. It's always mm-hmm. natural, but the situation. So I think for your situation, you just knew you had that much time, bam, like that, right? Um, but what were the key things that he was talking about with the pitches? Yeah. So I think when you're trying to decide what to say, uh, whether it's to the CEO who lives on the top floor or some I don't know, del- Amazon delivery man to send you, I don't know, headphones or whatever. <laughs> um, the important thing is to keep it short, obviously, which I did not do. Um, but then to start with a little bit about your present, what you do. Elsa did that beautifully. Talk a little bit about your past uh, and how that maybe relates to the present. And then end with a little bit of the future of what you aspire to do, um, a future dream, future goal. That's cute. Kind of wrapping that up in a nice that. little pitch bow, you know? I think what Elsa, since she works in HR, I can see that she was ready to listen. She gave the now. And so yeah. she's always ready to listen. Oh, that's cool. Or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then she, I can see her just going into how much you need to go to the past. I also noticed that me and Elsa had very different approaches of how we said our pitches. And that, like, Elsa was very, like, workmanlike. Like, this is the information you need to know. Um... I feel like that's also like your personality too, which is great. Like I'm very, like, I will word vomit everything out. You're gonna get like a five hour story. Yeah, you know. Oh no, I don't. My friends would not say that. Oh no, that's for me. I know, but yeah. me personally too. Yeah. yeah. They would not say that about me. They're like, oh, you have so many tangents and. <laughs> Whoops. I mean, the first time we met, we were supposed to have like a when Elsa was interviewing for collab. Um, this is one of, like, honestly, like, just trying to keep it 100 right now. Like, 100. probably one of, like, the interviews that I most remember in that we were supposed to talk for 15 minutes. And Josh's um, like, oh, God, it's been two hours. <laughs> and we kidding. spent, like, an hour and a half just That's talking funny. about, like... Everything. Yeah, racial equity. It was a good time. Sorry, what were we talking about again? <laughs> well, no, pitching. I mean, how do we feel <laughs> about just that? pitching. Just pitching. Just pitching. Okay, yeah. Speaking about the future. Yes. Um... Lung, how would you say, what is your future goal? My future goal? I grew up... bright and shiny. So I grew up in graduating in the recession. It was always about being prepped and ready for opportunity. Luck is basically the right time and you're ready for it, right? Um, It was always hard to imagine 
the future because everything looks so bleak and opportunities were just rare. So I was always being prepped and ready for things. And then keeping my brain open and my heart open, just like taking the opportunity. So exciting. (laughs) My brain and my heart open. it's, It's both because you think functionally, but sometimes like something might passionately might be there for you. And then you're like, oh, no, no, this is going to divvy off from what I want. But sometimes, like, we think in scarcity. Again, going back to Asian-American thinking about, like, diversity and stuff, like, where we're always breaking through scarcity of, like, maybe that opportunity never comes again, right? And so sometimes, like, something really great happens, but then if it goes off your five-year, you know, goal, some. You know, it's okay. That can go 10 years. What if you want to take this opportunity now? And you can always learn something from any opportunity, even the ones that fail. Like, I, for me, I've traded, like, back and forth eight different industries. I've learned something from every single one. I don't regret any of them, right? No matter how harsh or so, how racist. I'll just say how racist <laughs> some of them were, but I still learned something from it. And, you know, at Josh, when you met me um, a couple weeks ago when we had our brainstorm, remember I met with one of my CEOs from 10 years ago, one of my internships and we right. caught up and stuff. And mm-hmm. I actually, we realized how much we had in common and we're going to meet again soon. I mean, oh. that could have been a thrown away situation or whatever, but it came back, right? I think that's the thing too. If you never know when, you know, a connection you might meet years ago yeah. might come back in some amazing way in the future. Yeah. So that's why I say it's both your heart and your mind. Elsa, what about yours? I am very ambiguous with my future. Um, I'm still figuring out if, you know, HR is what I want to stick with. And there's so many different paths within HR that you can go. And so I think I have, you know, being two titles, it opens up um, a fork in the road for me. So I could either focus on one, focus on either, or focus on both, um, go down that path. But um, I don't know. I am still very passionate about nonprofit work, the Asian American community, um, advertising, graphic design, you know, creative stuff still excites me, event planning. So everything is up in the air and I'm excited to see, you know, taking a proactive approach to narrowing it down, right? But being open to everything because that's how I got into this industry, right? I was open to the opportunity. I didn't really have formal HR background um, and now here I am learning so much. But I think within the next five years, I do want to go to New York City. So Hopefully that opens different doors for me. Lots of personal growth. What screams New York in your heart for you? Uh, it's different. Um, I grew up in San Francisco all my life. I love big city life. You know, the tall buildings, the skyscrapers, the hustle and bustle, all the things to do. And, you know, I tend to go to the quieter areas nowadays. I grew up in the sunset, so it's kind of residential, right? But, you know, New York is so it's so cheesy to say but there was um electricity in the air when i was there it's very exciting to be there so i don't think i'll be there forever i'm gonna give myself three to four years maybe five um but i'll come back what if an opportunity in atlanta showed up or nashville <laughs> why you gotta do this to me um, hey they got a collab in atlanta <laughs> and you know uh lisa's son is in nashville she's like any of you guys want to come by hang out I do want to visit Nashville. I've never been, so maybe if I went, I would fall in love. But 
right now my heart is set on New York. I, I also will say, like, I don't know if I would ever move there, but New York is definitely the only city that I've visited that I feel like really lives up to the hype, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, that's exciting to me that you're going from, I don't know, I guess like you're always be my maybe stage to like your, <laughs> what would it be, like Sleepless in Seattle? Oh, no. Well, yeah. Sleepless in New York. Well, no, but Sleepless in Seattle takes place in New York. It's weird. It's a whole thing. That's right. That'll be our next <laughs> podcast. We'll talk about like Rosie O'Donnell and whatnot. Okay. Josh, what is your... What does the future hold for you? Um, so right now... How are you going to revamp your pitch if you were to include your future in it? <laughs> I think I would say that... So right now, just for, for reference, I work in a nonprofit during the day. That's not collab. And um, I get the privilege of working with high school youth in San Francisco. And what I've really enjoyed with that is... Uh, well, specifically on... What is it? About maybe two or three times a month. Uh, I meet up with this leadership development cohort and I get to talk with them about their goals and their dreams and where they want to go. And thinking more critically with them about the stories that they're telling themselves and that we tell ourselves about each other and trying to redefine ourselves, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be like a young person right now um, and to really embrace all of those things. And I think that's what I really want to continue doing. I don't know if it's in the nonprofit realm forever, but helping people discover their own stories and helping them tell that to other people is the dream. <laughs> anyway, I love that. Yeah. Maybe you'll do a podcast that stems off that. Yeah, I mean, I would even say um, Golden Great is an extension of that dream as well. Um, and I think you guys have done beautifully this year and being able to start carrying that out in meeting with a variety of artists near and dear to our heart to people who we just met and really trying to dig into not just what makes them tick, but who they who they come from, who they are, um, and where they're going. Yeah. I'm going to ask something on brand to both of you guys. Okay. On brand? <laughs> what scares you about the future? Um, what scares me is just, I think it's just like a like a black hole, right? Like when I imagine the future, I just think black. And maybe I need to do more visualization <laughs> and mapping out. But that's scary to me that honestly anything can happen. And I don't think I think enough about all the great things that are going to happen in the future and be excited about that. But I think more about the sad things that are more inevitable, you know, like that is more concrete that you'll see. Because who knows, you might not get married, you might not find you know, the love of your life or fulfillment in your job, but you know people are going to pass away. <laughs> this is morbid. Wow. This is morbid. But, you went there. Or, you know, like you're going to lose people in your life, and I think that's scary about going to a different city. Like I don't really have family or friends there starting over, and I feel like I'm past the point of, I'm not saying old, long <laughs> spring, but... Um, people have established their friend groups, right? So it's harder to break through and break in. And even here in the Bay Area, I find it hard to make adult friends. So I think loneliness is a little scary about the future, um, the path that you take. Yeah. But also, I I think I'm scared about not knowing enough of who I am because I might want to stay in New York. You know, I might want to live there forever. And that scares me because that's not what I anticipate. So... Yeah, so I, I feel that really strongly, and I'm totally <laughs> with you on that. I think I would also add that what is terrifying to me is that at least I'm a little 
closer toward undergrad to the college experience than you guys. And I think coming out of that um, from the cradle up to now, it's always here's the step. You're going to go to this school. From there, you'll transfer over here to here. You'll fill out apps. You'll go to college. Uh, and then when the whole adulting thing starts, obviously, there's this plethora of choice that opens yeah. up. And I am someone who just always has really struggled with choice. <laughs> I mean, I, I watch a lot of TV. And I always feel like I'm watching like 15 different shows or listening to like 20 different podcasts at the same time because I, I have to listen to everything. I have to consume everything. And... I think when it comes to thinking about my future and having to make very concrete decisions, when I don't know what's going to happen in a year or five years is really terrifying. And I know that there has to be a level of commitment to, um, to people, whether that's like your family, your friends, um, a community or faith group or school group, like whatever that is. And I think there's like a big part of me that has always struggled with that and feeling that we're well, questioning whether people will last and, and stick with you yeah. through all of that. And I think that kind of dovetails with that loneliness yeah. feeling of, I think in the future, like there are going to be points where we're lonely. There's also going to be times where we're without community. Um, and that's terrifying, but also knowing that that's only part of it. I want to bring this all back home. You know, the important thing about... I do want to go home right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, this brings me back home. For me, networking is not necessarily about trying to move up. It's not necessarily trying to get that step forward. Like, the future is, can be so scary, and I've been there where, like, you just don't know, right? And when you're going out and meeting people, like, you got to realize that they think the same thing too, right? Whether they're out of college trying to figure out where they go after this because they've been told what to do their whole life. Or you meet someone that was a CEO and then they're getting a divorce and trying to figure out where do they go after this? After they split and they don't know where it's going to be with the house and stuff like that too. Like there's always this fear, right? Networking is about connecting with people. And I'm going to steal this from Jenny Yang. She says like, how can I help you, right? You come in and you know someone or you come in to introduce yourself and you learn about something and like you try to help them with the burden about their future. You try to connect certain things and this is what really networking should be about. And that's what people get scared about, you know, like it's catch my two of like, yes, it is scary to talk about some, talk to someone new, but also you guys had the same fear of like scary about being alone, right? And that's where, um, if you come with that kind of empathy and realizing like we all have something in common of being afraid to be judged, afraid to like to be told no, like no in in our brain is probably the worst thing possible. But when you get told no, at least you get closer from that, you can move on, right? Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest important things about what we have here in power. And being power is always been about networking and meeting people, right? To really understand that we're not so far different from that person you see so successful or someone that's already a CEO or doing living your dream, right? But like, you're just that close to reaching that. And, you know, even successful people, when they reach these things, like 
you know, they can still feel lonely and kind of disconnected where they're not, they're always focusing on work. I'm myself, I'm trying to focus not so much on work networking, but actually trusting people to be part of my life to fulfill other things, right? So um, moving on to our next and final point is like, so with that, how do you brand yourself? Yeah, I, I think with all of that, um, something that's helped me think through what it means to to brand, or I like to think of it as like defining myself, which I, I don't even know. But just looking back at who like I am, like I come from, like I'm Chinese American, fourth generation. And so there's that little bit of, I don't know if it's like a Confucianist ethic <laughs> of, you know, like ide family ideals, um, humility. And there's also like the growing up in a largely like what, like Quaker, Protestant work ethic, work hard, do your thing, uh, but also, um, you know, like keep to yourself, stay humble and contrasting that with this. And it's, you know, it's been here since like the power of positive thinking and all that stuff. But now I think it's really manifested in this Trumpian reality TV, like show yourself off, um, be brash about it. Um, that's just not the kind of person that I am. And I think for me, it's been thinking about authenticity um, and kind of going back to just networking and branding for both of those. I think going into those spaces with curiosity uh, instead of a self-centeredness um, or like you said, like what Jenny Yang said of thinking about how you can contribute instead of how people can give stuff to you. I totally agree with branding. I think of it um, primarily as, you know, what are the core values that we hold? And you could kind of think of your yourself as a person, as a company in that aspect. Like, what is the mission vision? Um, what is the core values that uh, you embrace and you want to live by? And it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, you're humble right now or you're, um, you know, empathetic yet. You haven't fully achieved it. It's always something you're working hard at. Um, but I do think your branding includes what are you doing right now? You know, you can't just be talking the talk. You have to walk the walk, right? If you are passionate about Asian American, um, the Asian American community and topics like that, are you empowering our community? Are you um, lifting each other up? And so what are you doing as a person? And I think that's all part of your brand. Yeah, and I think one piece of language that I hate is when people <laughs> say that they have to sell themselves. Yeah. It just sounds really gross. I think what I, or how I like to frame it is, you're not selling yourself, but you're selling your ideas. You're selling what you believe in, um, of what you think is making the world better and more productive than it was yesterday. And I think if maybe you're like me and you're listening to this and you don't know what yourself is and how to brand, let alone define or think about yourself, like that's, that's totally okay. It's a process. Um, and I think it's part of being a creative and being a, a human in the world. So for me, it comes to branding. Oh, we're very close to home. Um, branding, I think, but they say that just make sure that you sum up what you want to say, right? So it's always about, for me, branding, I have to make sure who I'm talking to. If it's a personal training client, I'm a personal trainer. If I'm talking to a writing person, I'm a writer, right? So you just have to apply things. 
But when it comes to branding, I think about reputation. I'm going to talk about my friend that passed away this past um, Sunday. Um, when I think about um, networking and connecting people, like my good friend, his name is Brent. He was my third grade, or his mom was my third grade teacher. And he knew that I was working in the music industry. And he connected me to his cousin, which is Justin. And we've been friends for like good 15 years. And he just knew that we had something in common and we'd be good friends and connected, right? And his brand, quote unquote, was just his reputation. Like his, he had nicknames called the CEO and Big Sexy. And, and he ran this bar in Monterey. And he, if you go through his Facebook, he, people always upload videos of him doing karaoke with the people and all this stuff. He was that kind of person. And I think of branding is also your reputation of how much you contribute to people. And it's both of like how to make sure that you just segue into what you that person needs. Because again, like every person has a amazing story about them. However, you know, you got to make sure that you're doing service to the other person or give them what they need or what they can do with you and building a network, right? And I think that's a kind of ugly thing about when people think about branding, but you also got to understand too, like we have so much to offer and you branding is just teaching you how to tailor to that and to build a network for all of us to build upon, right? And so to help others understand you better and like what you offer. But you offer also vice versa. Yeah. Vice versa. I also think that um, when people say the world's the world's small, I don't believe that. I think that we have great small circles. Like good people attract other good people. You know, bad people attract bad people. And people that want to stay home and don't want to do anything, they tend to stay home, right? Yeah. Thinking about who is in your network and are the people that are in your network right now the people that you want to associate let alone like be friends and mentors and all that stuff with you know long since we both just all went through um this networking workshop and we had to try it out ourselves afterward and yada 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 um starting with you what are what are two or three takeaways that you would give our listeners as they go off and continue to add to their networks and figure out like how they want to be defined and seen by others i'm gonna give you a life cheat that seems uh, cynical but just it's gonna make sense and then i'll give you some heartwarming one so the first one everyone's favorite subject to talk about is themselves oh okay you're talking about subject to talk about not side but subject to study yeah that was very very broad that's i was like question. math science yeah art? everyone's subject is talking about themselves in writing like, there's always that one person that writes about their life they thinks is interesting, right? Um, so when you're talking in, in a business world, keep asking questions about them. They'll just keep opening up. You just keep hurtling, hurtling, hurtling. It's a true statement. Yeah, and so that's where you kind of can navigate and learn. So that's the first step. Just keep digging and asking stuff like that, too. Second one, I would say, I think this is probably the crucial thing follow up i think people don't follow up you'll never know where it can lead and again keeping yourself keeping your um options open i met 
the manager of Michael Franti and the Spearheads. And I remember she saw my shirt. She's like, oh, that's a cool shirt. And she started opening up and talking to me. And she's like, oh, do you build websites? Cool, come to my office. Um, she tried to hire me, but at the time, again, during the recession, no money. She's like, I'm sorry, but here's some free tickets to our show. We're opening the opening. We're opening the grand opening of the Fox Theater. I don't know if that's a thing. We're opening the We're opening grand opening. the opening. <laughs> She's, yeah, so the first person ever to perform at the Fox Theater, mm. I was actually there. Funny story is that uh, I got VIP and I was like young. I had jeans and a skateboard. I went in the back and then the security guard goes, no, you can't come in with that skateboard. And the first thing I thought, I said, Bitch, I'm VIP. I can go in. Did and you really say that? I did. Oh that came God. out of desperation. I think that's what we'd call very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't confident back then in saying that stuff. I said it, and I just realized what I said. And then the security guard was like, whatever, just get in. And so with that, you know, I still see um, him walking around the street and stuff, and I still, like, shake his hands, like, hey, can you tell, you know, your manager, we have a connection, like, can you tell me how, you know, can you tell her, like, I still think about her, thank you so much. And she always, like, miss, Catherine always messaged back after, she's like, oh, I heard it, you know, he saw you, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, always follow up. That's probably the thing that most people don't do. Elsa, any any last thoughts? Um, no, I totally agree with what Long said. A lot of people don't follow up, and I see that time and time again with, you know, things that you see on LinkedIn and, you know, even job interviews, like, oh, they didn't send a thank you note. And that could have been the make it or break it, surprisingly, even if you were a great candidate. Um, for me, I would always say personalize it. So if you're going to reach out to someone, try to find that middle ground as po much as possible. And say, for example, for LinkedIn, if you're trying to connect with someone, um, I rarely connect with random people that just say they want to connect. I'm like, well, who are you? What do you want? And why do you want to build this relationship? If I'm going to connect with someone, I always add a note and mm. I say, read your articles or I've seen you around at an event and I want to keep in touch. But I always leave something. I don't just assume that they're going to know who I am and remember that. Um, so, yeah, we find that middle ground. How about you, Josh? Um, I guess I've been thinking a lot about the mission of collaboration lately we always we talk about that of empowerment through entertainment and I think a big part of that stems from you know this very like righteous movement of like advocating for more representation both like in front of and behind the camera blah 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 um, but I feel like that really applies to networking too in that uh, if you identify as API as you are going through the world and you're going through promotions and all that stuff and you are finding your way through the bamboo ceiling um, and dealing with the wage gap and all of that really fun stuff. Um, as you go through that, the generation below you is going to be watching and they're going to be seeing how you network with other people and whether you treat people better than maybe the way you were treated as a kid. Um, they're looking at the way that you engage with your culture and with your identity and if they see you being someone who's really like I mentioned earlier like trying to make 
the world better and being or trying to be as as good a person you can um, in whatever work setting that is. I feel like no matter if like if you're not in the film or entertainment industry, uh, whether you're a dentist who's just like trying to do your thing or a janitor, like that representation matters too, and you matter. Also, yeah, piggybacking what Josh said, being older, dinosaur age, um, how you present yourself with branding. You know, we joked on brand, I curse, and I am outspoken. But at the same time, I'm always looking out for the like person that's disenfranchised less than me. At my job, people there are some people that just don't talk to me. It's like, yeah, he, he's always talking about race or whatever. But they just know that, like, that's my thing. They know that, you know, I've been in corporate situations where, like, they're trying to erase my identity. Not that I'm, like, doing anything controversial, but it's like when there's moments where I have to bite my tongue if I see a coworker getting harassed or I see something that, like, ethically is not good, like, I just don't buy into that, right? And taking a step back, um, you know, I still have my dignity. And I think a lot of times, especially in our culture of like, just make it work. Like, you know, our, our parents like, dude, you know, I came from a terrible position. I came over to America and you have any opportunity to do this, right? But then also we're still American of like growing up with ideals of like dreams and representation, also like the individual identity. And we're still trying to figure out how we fit into this, you know, machine of what we call the working field. And one of the saddest things, I think, for me growing up in, or growing up as an adult in San Francisco, a lot of people that get detached from that identity and start getting really engulfed in their money. And they're trying to catch up with the Joneses, hmm. like spending money as much as the, you know, Brad at accounting, you know, because he, he's privileged to have his parents to buy a, you know, summer home, right? I was going to say jet, but that works too. <laughs> God, if I meet someone with a jet, I'll punch him in the face. Keep that in. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, you know, it's, it's get, you get so lost in the rat race and you're trying to keep up. You feel like you have to keep up with these people, right? And I have a lot of friends that like they tried that and they did that and they actually got burnt out and they just pulled back. You know, one of my good friends, Andy, shout out to Andy. Um, he can he grew up like me too. And so he took the he worked in Salesforce and he was trying to keep up and just hang with other friends and going towel all the time too. And then he started getting burnt out. It's like, why am I spending all this time and energy, like wasting my money on like going these trips and stuff? And he took a step back and he started questioning things and now he's like more at home. He's actually visiting his nieces and nephews and family and stuff more. And, and it's not about that. And like, you just got to understand like your journey is so different than someone else's. And for people that do that, it's like, cool. Like I don't, you know, judge them for that. If they can just do all those things. And that was, as long as you don't become a malice person and take advantage of people, if that's your jam of going to Tahoe, if you can go, go do it. But like, once you start trying to keep up with those people and keep like getting angry at that, and that's where it becomes a problem, you know? Yeah. And I've had a lot of friends that do that and I actually had to cut them off. And I think that's one of the 
the final pieces about branding in that to have a brand and to define your brand, you have to know who you are. And I think that means self-reflection and thinking about like, what is it that you value or like, why are you doing what you're doing? And if there's something that doesn't align, figuring that out and trying different things and failing a lot. Yeah. And I think now is the best time, better than ever, to think about that end of the year. It's going to be the start of a new decade. So viewers, start thinking about if what you're doing right now aligns with your brand, your core values, and if not, change something. And that's going to do it for episode 11 of Golden Great. Send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldengreat at collaboration.org. And don't forget, that's collaboration with a K. Golden Great's producers are Adrian Chen and Michelle Aviera, and our executive producer is Josh Ko. Our fabulous theme song is composed by Robert Gov. Please like, favorite, rate us, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure you tell a friend. That means you, Joel. <laughs> We will see you next year. There'll be a couple bonus episodes between now and next season. But for now, stay golden. golden.